Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Colin Noyes, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Good evening. You've driven down from uh, Northern Virginia. I say Northern Virginia. It's north of here, but it's really not Northern Virginia. It's not really. It's the bedroom for Northern Virginia. Yeah, where, where do you it's live Spotsylvania. And uh, do the cool kids call it Spotsy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or Spotsylvania. That's the real. <laughs> that's the real. The real cool kids. I like that. All the I've, bubbas I hang out with with the trucks and guns. So I've I've referred to Central Pennsylvania as Pennsylvania, but I've never <laughs> referred to Spotsylvania as Spotsylvania. Spotsylvania. Yep. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. All right. Do you want to describe how you and I know each other, or should I do that? I think you should do that. All right. I can. Well, so we worked together with the guard. Um, I was M day for a bit and went full time. You were my boss as the, the operations officer for the 229. It's a fun job. Yeah, it was. And uh, that's when I learned to do my boss's job. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on. Let's, hold on. Let, let's, be, let's be clear. Let's be clear. I work two or three days a month. You work like 20. No, exactly. No, and, and, and that is actually, I mean, I, I learned that lesson early on. You do your boss's job and you're good. Uh, when I was a... Uh, M day company commander. I had E seven. It was full time. Who did my job twenty eight uh-huh. days out of the month? When I was the ops officer, I had you doing my job twenty eight yep. days out of the month. Yeah. So we, I'd show up to when I first when we first started working. I was still the HAC commander. So I had two offices. So I had the commander's office and the three office. So I had a rule. So when I was in the three office, I was dealing with three stuff. And when I was in the commander's office, I was doing the commander stuff. So I had to car, I was a car car. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's how I did it. So when we started drill, I go into the three shop, give you and whoever the back brief of what's going on, and then I go be the commander. And then I wouldn't come back until Sunday afternoon. That's probably the most hectic time of your career, or one of them. Had it was. Be. It was. But that's, you know, if you're active guard, that's the only way to do it. Yeah. You know, if you want command. And, uh, so I, that's how we did it for whatever, how many months we did that. And then it took over as the three. So it's a really, the deputy three. really good battalion. Oh, I, yeah. I, I love that battalion. It's the I've been part of numerous battalions and numerous units. And that's probably the number one unit I've ever belonged to. So I have to be careful because uh, you and I have both been in battalion command of different mm-hmm. units. Yes. Uh, I have an affinity for 3rd Battalion out of Winchester, but... Uh, I spent a lot. I spent over half my career in uh, that battalion in Fredericksburg. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of really good people. A lot of, there. I mean, when, I mean, I'm former air defense, so I was down in the unit in Portsmouth, and it had its issues, and then I went to division, and then I kind of bumped, like, actually, Barr yeah. got into, a, you know, Colonel Barr at the time, and he said, hey, why don't you come over to the 229th? And I had already deployed with, with them mm. in Bosnia. So that's where that's I knew right. James and, and Lewis and a couple of the other Bubba's, Bonner. And and um, so I got to know them. And they're like, hey, so I said, I'm looking for a new home. So they said, why don't you come over to the 229? So I talked to Colonel Barr, who was the XO, and he got me yeah. in with NAP. And then uh, went to AT that year to interview with Colonel Knapp, John Knapp, and uh, sitting in one of the tents on a on a cot just discussing you know what because I, I wasn't an engineer right by any stretches of the imagination yeah and, air, air defense and engineer yeah, yeah, too very yeah no things. and uh so uh we talked started off with this the s1 
and then went over the command. So, yeah. So let's let's back up to the beginning. Um, and I do have to mention before we talk about growing up where you grew up. Silent Rob is with us, and you two just met. I don't know, 10, 15 minutes ago. And Rob got really excited when he saw your license plate. I thought there was a coyote or something in my driveway. <laughs> reacting so, I mean, I've never uh, seen Rob react like that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a it, Buckeye thing, and you, you you don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> your, your license plate says Woody H, of course, for Woody Hayes, uh-huh. uh, who was at the time the top coach in the country. And yep. uh, if he wasn't top, he was certainly top three in the country. Uh, and he was known for being scrappy. In fact, I think didn't he punch a yes. player? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. His own. And then, uh, uh, and uh, what was it Clemson? It was a Clemson player that he hit. All right. By, by the way, if we start talking about Ohio State football, <laughs> Rob, you're, you're welcome to join us on the mic. But until then, we'll keep you in silent Rob status. All right. So you grew up, born and raised in Ohio. Yes. Right? Yeah, yes. Right, so and like Central Ohio. Central Ohio. What was it like growing up in in uh, Columbus? It was uh, it was all right. I mean, it was just typical big town, and everything rotated around Ohio State, obviously, because Ohio State's smack dab in the middle of the, of the town. It's kind kind of hard to avoid. Yeah, guess, it is. You know? I mean, everybody. Gra- I mean, worth to Worthington High School uh, graduated from there, and of course, everybody went from there to Ohio State. That was the thing. It was like a continuation of your education, and um, you know, when you're talking, what a hundred thousand undergrads on one campus massive oh my first class now right oh yeah my my class my very first class had almost two thousand people in it and i (laughs) and and i and that's where you you don't go to ohio state to get a real education you get to ohio state to get a piece of paper and move on with your life (laughs) and we would take classes and then of course the first day of class was meeting your guys sitting next to you and you go okay you go to you come to class on monday i'll come to class on wednesdays we get together on fridays and we share our notes it's a rotation And, and that's how we went through school and uh even when i went to ocs my entire class was at ohio state and we get together at the union and study and get ready for drill. And even our tech officers at our, were at Ohio State. You know, mm. it's just it's just a massive school in numerous campuses. Yeah, it's, it's no wonder they can get as many people to show up to football games. Cause oh, it's crazy. Students. Yeah, it's crazy. But they, but Ohio State absolutely adores football. Oh, yeah. Football, lacrosse, basketball. I don't know which is the basketball thing. But they do lacrosse and they do – um, a bunch of other stuff. Women's sports is massive there right now. Yeah. Um, you know, even I think the women's basketball did awesome this year. You know, and uh, of course the men's team kind of fell on their face, but but they're usually pretty good. Yeah, they are. And uh, but I don't really follow on that. Baseball is another one that they're good at. Um, hockey. My wife and I we like watching the Ohio State hockey team. I think they're actually ranked this year. I think they won the championship last year. The conference championship. Yeah, I think they did. Um, That's unusual then, given the conference there. It was the women's hockey team that won the conference team. Uh, gotcha. It was women's hockey. They and they they're really good. And um, in fact, I think most of the team was on like the Olympics or whatnot. Oh, so wow, yeah, okay. When you say you grew up in Columbus, were you in the city or were you in the outside? Bars? I was on the outskirts, northern Columbus, Worthington, um, and uh, it was just a it was a middle class town. Um, not very big. It grew significantly. Um, and then, uh, we moved from there to, well, I'm, you know, we, I moved out of the house from Worthington and while I was still at Ohio state 
and uh, then ended up living in Westerville, which is another northern part of you know a bed a bed a bedroom for uh, for Columbus. But Columbus has a lot of research. Ross Labs is there, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of technical research. They do a lot of chemical research and stuff like that. That's what they're known for. Did you feel like you grew up in the Midwest, or did you feel like you grew up? Yeah, at, yeah, yeah. I did. I mean, it's. You don't go too far out of town, and you're into farm country and corn fields. And we go see our my uh, grandparents up in Cleveland, and you know it's three hour drive throughout you know corn fields and and whatnot. It's a typical um, typical mid- midwestern state, you know, flat, a um, couple of hills which they compensated on by putting uh or, yeah they uh, they put. But ski ski runs on, <laughs> you know. Mad River Mountain was a little hill, you know. But any hill they tried to put ski runs on, just so they can make some kind of money when it got cold. You, you got to work with what you got. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I drove across Ohio one time, and I'm like, uh, Columbus <coughs> and a bunch of corn. It's mm-hmm. kind of kind of the experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, growing up in the burbs, did you enjoy growing up in the burbs? Just it was all right. Down? It was all right. I mean, it was. Uh, I worked there. I lived there. Um, everybody became friends. I mean, I went to elementary school in Worthington and went all the way through the high school and played uh, sports and, and whatnot. And and uh, it was a small little suburbia where everybody, we used to do block parties, mm. you know, the old days where sure. you know, the, night the police would come down and shut down the town or shut down the block and you'd have everybody bring potluck stuff and play kick the can and real softball. Commu- real and, community. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't see too much of that anymore. We try to do that where we live now, but... Yeah, the, neighbors the, are weird now. And I'm, I'm probably part of the weirdness. Um, I think the pandemic has done something to us. Yeah. And maybe it started before the pandemic, but the pandemic definitely didn't help. Yeah. All right, so uh, you mentioned you played sports. What sports did you play? Lacrosse, wrestled, so tennis. Lacrosse was something for you growing up. Oh, yeah, lacrosse was big in, in northern part of Columbus. Really? Why yeah. is that? Um, probably because the fo- football. We always had c- football. We were competing with, but if you weren't, if you didn't play football, you played lacrosse. And uh, you know, there was lacrosse was a p- privatized type organization. It really wasn't a high uh, school sport. C- kind of like a club thing. It was a club thing. Yeah. Um, my dad played lacrosse when he was up in Boston, so I kind of picked up on it, and I started the middle school team. Because I went to the huh. I went to the high school varsity and said, "Hey, let's start grooming some of the people that want to play in high school. Yeah. Let's start grooming them now at the middle school level." So we started a middle school team and and uh, which was fun. Um, I got <laughs> one year I didn't play and decided to go play tennis. Mm. Well, I got kicked off the tennis team because I threw my racket at my opponent because I missed the lacrosse. <laughs> 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 missed being you, lacrosse. You, you need a little more violence. <laughs> yeah, I need a little bit more contact sport, and I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and the wrestling thing was more of a that was that was a club, just the people itself because it was, mm. you know, you had the bullies and then you had the people that were on the wrestling team and there you they always had your back. So yeah, you no matter what or how. And of course, when I wrestled, I was. As tall as I am now, I was 103 pounds. Oh my gosh! So I was a skinny little kid, and um, I used to wrestle 103, the lightest weight at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, I did that. Well, I actually wrestled through elementary school all the way through middle school and high school. So wrestling's huge in that part. Of the oh game. yeah, it is. And um, I wrestled till sophomore year, 
and then I started having some knee issues, and then the following year I joined the military. So, oh wow, that was quick. That was my uh, my sports after junior year was PT. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> it can be sporty, yes. that's for sure. <laughs> uh, lacrosse in Ohio, given our generation, our ages, is borderline shocking to me because when I think of lacrosse back then, I think of Boston, like where your dad's Princeton from, and the Ivy League schools, all and, East Coast, yeah. Uh-huh. Above D.C., north uh-huh. of D.C. I, I don't think of it being Midwest. I don't think of it being Southeast back then. Yeah, Ohio State had a big uh, intermeal team. Okay. So Ohio State had a big team, and um, it still is a big deal. I mean, it's you go by – I haven't been home in a while, but, you know, when you drive by the school, you always see the lacrosse nets out and whatnot, the goals and whatnot. All right, so we, when you were in middle school and high school, were you hanging out with – Jocks, the academically uh, gifted kids, uh, the kids that were uh, like to mix it up with life and stir up trouble. Or you I was very bat- shy. Okay. I mean, even though I wrestled, um, I was I I always took on the big guys, try to you know kind of prove myself. Um, but the uh, yeah, I, I was kind of a shy guy. I mean, I really. Um, until I joined the military and this and that, and then that was a whole other thing. But, um, yeah, I just, I really wasn't a troublemaker. I wasn't a troublemaker at all. And uh, academically, that's kind of my focus was. And then sports. And I was, did sports more so to get out of the house. And then I started working sophomore year. I think it was sophomore year is when I started working. During the school year, yeah, during yeah. the school year, and then uh, in between sports and and whatnot. So, all right. So, uh, what was your attraction to the military? Um, my dad, and then I had to find a way to get through college. Okay. And I joined as a junior in high school. Went to basic between junior senior year. Came back. So all you needed was your parents' permission, right? The, That's all I needed. I, in fact, I, I did the whole thing myself. I, I my parents signed off on it, but they were at the at the swearing in. But you know that was it. I did the whole thing. Went to Meps. I did everything myself. I didn't. It was my thing. And why army? Um, because the army guard was down the street. Okay. Um, I was, uh, my dad was affiliated with them. They knew a lot of people. Um, and I had already met, I'm, I'm a planner. So I met my recruiter a year before and said, this is what I want. I mean, I was already a sophomore and I already had my paperwork ready and ready to go. <laughs> you you know, and I were different kids, man. <laughs> I was, I was like, get me to, get me to college. You know, I graduated early. Okay. Um, January of my senior year, just so I could get out of high school because I had already been through basic and. You know, of course, typical basic training that time of year is all high school kids. Right. And they make us shave our heads on the very last day because we all, drill sergeants all know, we're all going back to high school on Monday, you know, or within the next week. Right. And uh, so I just walked into school and got my counselor and changed my schedule around and said, I'm done. Wow. And my dad said, that's cool. And I already... I think I only needed like one class, so I didn't have to take it at Ohio State. But I've already been accepted to Ohio State and everything, so I was like, I already knew where I was going. So it was just like, why am I wasting my time? And so your unit was going to ultimately be the an Army Guard unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Cav unit, Air Cav unit. Where did you go to? Uh, we'll come back to Air Cav in a second. Where did you go to Basic? <laughs> Fort Jackson. Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Yep. I've never Columbia, been there. Columbia, Columbia, South Delta Two One. Did you enjoy Tank it? Hill. 
Hmm? Did you enjoy basic? I loved it. Really? Oh, I loved it. It was the first time away from home. Um, loved it because drill starts back then, I imagine, were rougher than they, they are were. Now. They were, but they were fair. So, quick story about joining my very first day. Um, I like my food. And I did everything on, I mean, for the military, I was doing everything myself. I got myself to the, um, to MEPS and they said, uh, you know, meal, meal tickets. It was lunchtime. So I'm going to find time to go eat lunch. Well, somehow I missed my flight to basic training on the very first day of the military. So I had to and call my dad. And you're a planner. Yes. And I'm a planner. And I told my dad, it was like, uh, you're going to have to come pick me up. Because why is that? Because I was eating. <laughs> I was having a, a Burger King, you know, whatever, Whopper. And he's like, I don't understand. He goes, well, evidently the flight left or the bus left to go to the airport and I missed it. But my luggage was in the bus. It was already, my luggage was already going down range. So I showed up at basic a day late. Ooh, it's never, and, never good. And it was not good. I mean, it was, I had to catch up with my peers and my luggage and the drill sergeants he actually was pretty decent. I remember him because even back then, you know, drill sergeants were like big, ugly, yeah. you know, massive they're, they're dudes, scary. Yeah. very scary dudes. And um, but when he uh, when it when it was just him and I, he he was actually down to earth and a real person. Most of those guys are, and, and they are, yeah. and they are. And uh, so I did that and uh, graduated, got in, got did all my thing. And the unique thing about I remember about basic was. We had rooms. We had rooms of like one, two, six people. Well, I was the only one in there from you know White City suburbia. Everybody else from Detroit. Nice. <laughs> I was the only one that didn't speak English. I was the only one that spoke English as a first language, and they did that intentionally, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And um, it was uh, it was interesting. You know, these guys were good guys. They just were not from Columbus, Ohio. They're from downtown Detroit. <laughs> And Chicago and everywhere else, they, I was like, oh. I mean, if somebody said name the whitest part of the country, Columbus is probably uh, one of the first. Three yes, answers, no, so. exactly, yeah. exactly. But it was it was a cultural experience, and uh, you're better off for it. Oh yes, yeah, it, most definitely. And graduated, came home. Of course, no one came down to visit. It was just I'm, I, I was insisting this was my thing. Yeah, and came home and took a taxi home from the airport and started my life over. And and went, you were a student. Yeah, 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 exactly. So back to high school on Monday. But you were part of an Army Guard unit, the Air Cav unit. Yeah, the 107th Air Cav. And so did you want to be, I, what's the MOS for Air Cav? I was, I was a armament mechanic, so okay. I was a 68 Juliet. Okay. And uh, for Cobras and Huey gunships. Cobras were around back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it was more so the Huey gunships were the old things. Yeah. We phased them out the second year I was there. Mm. And uh, so we got to go down range at Camp Grayling up in Michigan and do that that send off the last AT with the Huey gunships. And yeah. everyone's got to go up and sit in it while they shot and all that. So it's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Is that what you wanted to do? Was to be a yeah. mechanic? Yeah. In fact, it's, I was a recruiter's, uh, not, not a mechanic. I didn't know what I wanted, but that was just what was there. Right. There was a bonus. Mm. They came with it. It was money, electronics. Money, money does some powerful things. It wasn't just it. W- yeah, it wasn't just uh, rent, turning wrenches. It was electronics, computers, the black boxes. I wanted to kind of learn about all that, and then um, I didn't know where I was going with it from there. And 
it was an awesome unit. We had Jeeps. Yeah. You know. The old school The Jeeps. old school Jeeps, you know. Pre-Humvee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm still in contact with a couple of the guys from the unit and uh, on, on Facebook and whatnot. And yeah. They're... Uh, I made some really good friends. I mean, I didn't even have a car. I mean, I went out to, there's only one way to get to the unit and back. So I'd go out to the high street, thumb my way, good, make sure it was about an hour before drill. And somebody would come pick me up en route to, to drill. And I'd. It's a good unit. I was, yeah. And I did that once. And that was that. I always had a ride home. Yeah. And um, sometimes we'd take detours and go into downtown and whatnot and go into Columbus and the uh, Ohio State and do some partying and whatnot but but that was 17 18 years old so i was learning about life and yeah under the tutelage of some you know some experienced people so my dad was pretty confident that i wasn't going to get in trouble yeah plus you'd been to basic yeah so yeah you'd done more than most kids your age had done Mm -hmm. so where did you learn how to uh repair and maintain helicopters uh fort eustis you came to so that's why i'm in virginia did you there's a whole story that goes with that. Yeah, I had no idea why. I think I probably asked you a long time ago yeah. why you were in Virginia, and you probably said Fort Useless. Did people call it Fort Useless back then? Yes. Okay, so it's been Fort Useless yeah. for a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, almost an 11th month MOS. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was It was a long. It was one of the longer ones. Oh, that might be top three longest. Yeah, it's one of the longest MOSs I could have taken at the time. Wow. And it was uh, 11 months away from home with no car. And that's where I met my best friend. And as I said, that's the reason why I'm in Virginia. And uh, so we got to learn how to work on Mohawks. We worked on the Hueys, the Cobras, the Apaches, whatnot. All those armament systems that came with all those. And uh, But you finished OCS in Ohio, I thought. Mm-hmm. So help me. So there's a timeline. Take me from AIT. All right. So you graduating Ohio State. Uh, AIT was eighty six, eighty seven. Okay. Uh, OCS was eighty nine, ninety. Okay. Um, and then I was an E four before I went to OCS, and then after OCS is where I got commissioned. Well, that's kind of funny because I got commissioned as. A air defense officer. That's where I was heading because the air defense unit in Ohio was supposed to be 80% full-time AGRs because it was a full-time air defense unit. Wow. Um, that got nixed. But as I was getting my commission, I was told I couldn't get my commission that day. And I said, why? This is because you don't have a flight physical. Well, unbeknownst to me, my unit put me in for flight school. <laughs> Who does that? They they put me in for flight school. They thought Normally I was coming back to, to the unit. Yeah. yeah. But hold on. You don't. Why would you have to go to flight school to be in that unit? To fly Cobras. Ah, you were in a fly Cobras. Yes. That's okay. what they wanted me to do. They I didn't know you. I was taking the other alternative of going to the Hawk unit in McConnellsville, Ohio, which was supposed to be full time. It was a brand new unit, brand spanking new unit, as in they stood it up from the dusters. And while I was at that summer camp, my last summer camp, um, before I got my commission, they just got rid of the dusters and transitioning to Hawk. And um, hold on, let's back up. I'm not an right. ADA guy. What's, no. what's a duster? Uh, duster is a track vehicle with the guns. So you, okay. The one that used to sit outside of Fort Pickett. Yeah. That was a duster. Got it. Okay. And then the Hawk missiles were just that missiles that you you know probably as long as this room right. or not. But the a dumb step down from the Patriot. 
Yeah. Got it. Okay. You know, so, um, yeah, so that's OCS, graduated from there, then went off to Fort uh, Bliss for my basic course. Officer basic course. Yeah, officer basic course in 91. Okay. And then how did you end up back in Virginia? So the story is it was Veterans Day weekend. Veterans? Yeah, it was Veterans Day. I came home to Ohio. It was a long weekend. I got to pass or leave to come back to Ohio. And on my way back to Virginia, two people sitting next to me, Pete and Debbie, um, brought up a conversation. I was in my greens. Obviously, he, Pete always says I look like a lost puppy because <laughs> I was in E3 at the time. And um, this was in 86. Yes, November of 86. And uh, he said I look like a lost puppy. And he's a, he's a former Marine, um, state trooper, Virginia state trooper, master trooper. Okay, yeah. So, um, and he was like you know, what's the deal? I said, well, I'm going back to AIT and this and that. So we broke up conversation. And then before we got off, we got picked our luggage up and he said, hey, he says, well, how about if I give you a ride? Because it was the, the Newport News Airport. And he said, how about if I get to ride back to Eustis? He was like, all right, cool. And as I got off at Eustis, he was like, hey, Thanksgiving's coming up in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come over for dinner? Ah, that's really nice. And I was like, eh, I don't know these guys. So I specifically remember going to the px at fort eustace picking up the um phone because yep. the the old phones right and um i dialed pete and debbie and said hey this is colin you met me on the airplane and i've had a key to their house ever since wow and he was my best man in my wedding holy cow. 10 years ago um and then so him and i became really good friends and uh, he would pick me up on weekends because it was a very long MOS. Right. It was very lax. So we had pass every weekend. So he would come pick me up in his trooper car mm. and take me out for cruises. And then we go back to his house and Pete and Debbie would make me dinner. And we'd go fishing out in the Chesapeake or I'd do laundry there and, you know, just just live life. Yeah. Get to know the area a little bit. And then after about three or four weeks, I got called into the commander's office asking me why a state trooper was picking me up every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, uh, so him and I became good friends. Him and his wife, Debbie, became good friends. Um, I graduated from school, went back to Ohio. And I went to Ohio State, doing my thing. And on spring breaks, I'd come down here. And um, it was an escape because... I needed to get out of Ohio sometimes because of my family. Mm. And this was a place where I could go where my mom and dad didn't know where I was. They knew who I was with. They had talked to him on the phone, but not didn't know where I was. But they knew I was safe. Yeah, I would take off for a week and come down, and Pete and Debbie would find me asleep on their couch. Wow. Uninvited. Just I'd, I'd just come in. Pete would come in from work. Debbie would come in from work. And I'd get up in the middle of the night, and there'd be a plate sitting on the coffee table, with a little sign on it, you could have called us and said you were coming, you know, and um, have dinner, you know, whatnot. And then uh, in 95, Pete, I was down on vacation, and Pete and I were fishing, and he's like, you've talked about coming down here. When are you going to come? Mm. He goes, why don't you come down, move in with me, and move in with us for a couple months, and we'll figure it out. So that year is when I moved. I transferred to the Virginia Guard. Um, 
Him and I went chance in, encounter at oh, the I know. airport. I know exactly. Yeah, and um, he, him, and I went to uh, get some boat parts. I had a sailboat in Ohio, and um, he's I love sailing. And um, him and I went to go pick up some boat carts at this boat store in Hampton. And I went and talked to the manager and said, Are "You guys hiring?" They said, "Sure." And I took a little piece of paper and a fax machine and faxed it to my old boss in Ohio and said, "I quit." <laughs> and two weeks later, I moved. Packed up you, everything. You quit via fax. Yes. <laughs> and the, the story was, is the person who was my boss was also my dad's fiance at the time. So it was, uh, yeah. So there's okay. tangled, tangled webs we have weaved. <laughs> um, that's what I was getting away from. Ah, gotcha. And um, so it was, uh, so I went home, packed up my sailboat, my toys, basically my guns. Yeah. And whatever clothes and my Jeep and came to Virginia. And I didn't go back. You and Pete were that tight. Oh yeah, I moved in with them. Three months later, Pete, I moved. I bought a boat, lived on the boat. And Pete was like, "Why don't you? Wouldn't it be cool to get up in the morning, and have coffee, sitting on a boat?" I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, so I think amazing. that was his hint to get out of the house. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Debbie and I love you at all. But uh, yeah. yes, no. As I said, they're 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 my surrogate family. I mean, they've always been there, and he was my best man at her wedding ten years ago. And where are they now? They're still in the same spot in Yorktown. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're in I Yorktown. Was, yeah. I was down there a couple weeks ago. I see them probably once or twice a week, a year. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and we keep in touch. And when I was in the guard, I'd go on meetings down that way, and I'd stay at their house and whatnot. And So you joined a, a guard unit, uh, air defense, that happens to be in the Tidewater area. Yes, exactly. The whole battalion was down there. Uh, Portsmouth? Yes. Yeah, you said that earlier. Yep. Um, yeah, what are the chances? You've been trained in... Uh, air defense yeah. and there's a unit right there no that was that made it too easy i yeah. mean it was a stinger unit not a hawk but it's still the difference was high mad shard which is basically high tech low tech infantry type stuff with the 29th division yeah 29th division had a lot of stuff that yes. just got sort of let's all be grunts even mm-hmm. though we have different yes. specialties kind of thing yeah exactly uh all right so when i went to advanced camp for rtc there was a an air defense day and whoever, I think it was a stinger, mm-hmm. whoever got it from whatever state it was in to ready to fire, whoever mm-hmm. did that the fastest was rewarded with firing the Vulcan. Outstanding. The, can you please explain <coughs> how many rounds were being fired from the Vulcan? A lot. Per second, per minute. Like it, oh, it's, it's some staggering thousands, number. Thousands. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, it I, was I can't a, wrap my head around. It, it's it's supposedly against the Geneva Convention to use it against personnel, <laughs> but it was definitely a uh, air defense. And air, it was a it was a very effective anti personnel person uh, piece of equipment. <laughs> well, anti anything. Yes. So my, one of the, the guy who won the competition with the uh, Stinger got to, and I didn't know what a Vulcan was. I mean, we had heard some stats about it, but he got up there and he started firing. I'm like. I wish I had been the fastest. That's uh-huh. the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Yep. It was unbelievable. Yep. Uh, I kind of wanted to be air defense. It was, yeah. There, and, and it's funny is people don't didn't want to be air defense because they all wanted to do all the sexy stuff, go blow up stuff as an engineer, go shoot stuff with as an infantry guy. But nowadays, even now, air defense is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Air, I mean, talking from drones, anti-drones to... You know, missiles and good lord, everything else. That's a big deal. There's a lot of things, that, a lot of things that fly, 
and uh, a lot yep. of it wants to hurt yep. people. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, wow. That okay. I think I knew parts of that story, but I don't think I knew the whole story. I, I don't probably think I, didn't. Yeah, Not I, too many people know the whole story. Yeah, I hadn't met Pete either. No, you haven't. Yeah. No. Uh, and Pete's retired now. Oh yeah, he retired back in '96 from the state troop. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, he's. It's kind of interesting because my retirement is kind of mimicking his retirement. Um, it's just the way he did it. The same kind of the same way I'm doing my retirement, almost to a T. Almost. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You have similar personalities. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a old school he's an old school trooper. Okay. Old he's a Marine. Yep. You know, he was an E five in the Marine Corps. Old school trooper. You know, he's the guy that would just pull out a shotgun and pull out and shoot shoot the light out above he's he's that guy. <laughs> you know, you things that you hear about stories, he Pete's done it, you know. <laughs> and uh it was uh it was fun going on cruises with him on the weekends and stuff like that. Yeah. Going so, out to the bag. Yeah, you know, that too. But I'm talking about guns as, as a state trooper. Oh god! But yeah, no, we he he's the one that introduced me into the Chesapeake. Yes, Chesapeake's I love, awesome. Right? I love the Chesapeake. I fell in love with it. I mean, I had to sail. You can only sail so much in Ohio, right? You know, so yeah, the bay. You can go to a bunch of different rivers. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's why you did what I did with the sailboat. So, all right. So ADA, you were a uh, platoon leader. Yes. At the, at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was a platoon leader. XO. I didn't become a commander. Um. There was politics there, but um, always is. Yeah, um, I was, um, I was the odd man out because I was from out of the state. I wasn't. I was part of the good old boys system. You're, you're I was not, not. You were not from Virginia. I was not from Virginia, you know. And uh, I didn't go to Virginia Tech. I didn't go to VMI. Yeah, you know. So I was the odd man out, and that hurt me career wise in Virginia. But at it, the time, I, at the time, yeah. I made up for it significantly. Made up for it thanks to the two two nine. Yeah, and the leadership. That was there because they brought me in, you know, made me feel part of the team. So, yeah, because you were. Yeah, and yeah. that was that's what I needed. Yeah. All right. So you left uh, the Portsmouth unit, went to division. Yes. And what'd you do, division? I was the uh, at that time, that time around, I was the uh, assistant aviation airspace manager. Okay. With we deployed to Bosnia. The division headquarters. Yes, the division headquarters. So that's why I went with the with the division in two thousand one. What was that deployment like? Um, it was different than it was intended to be because nine eleven happened while we were there. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that. Yeah. You know, so we were supposed to go there, do a mission, and come home, but nine eleven happened, and then all kinds of stuff happened. High alert the rest of the time you were there. Oh yeah, tanks at the front gates and. Well, take me through the the, the take me through nine eleven. Um. I was on duty. I was working my shift, and um, there was a TV on. General Blum was in the room. No, hold on a second. General Blum was not. He was at um, camp. He was at Fort Dix. Okay. The unit had not caught up with us. I was there early. I went over there as a. Uh, you were advanced. Party. I was advanced party. Yeah. And um, with uh, Tommy Webb and those guys, and. Um, so we were under the third ID. Okay. And we were transitioning. So I was there when the stuff hit and it was shut down the base, kick everybody off the base. They we had tanks. We put tanks at both entrances to the base and basically shut everything down. And if it if it flew, it got shot down. Really? I mean, it was um so Mogadishu 
um, Steele, Captain yeah. Steele, yeah. was Colonel Steele in charge of the Mountain Division at one of our Camp McGovern or something. Oh, he like was that. there when y'all were there. He was there with us, and he wanted to shoot down so many planes. It was it didn't matter. <laughs> he, he'd throw rocks at planes. He, he didn't care. He, he fifty cows. I mean, I had to keep telling him, Dada, you can't do that." You know, so I was trying to keep all the aviation out of his area, knowing that that was a threat. Right. Because they were all on edge. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, we had a couple of missions. Um, it was an experience to uh, see planes come and go, secret stuff going on. I mean, it's the first experience I've ever seen any of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, uh, you know, hearing the stories of maybe there's people in there and 55 gallon drums being taken back to the states or something you know yeah it was just one of those it was weird yeah uh being overseas part of the government infrastructure part of the u.s military that there are things that happened you're like i didn't see that coming no i mean i got video of my i took pictures of my tv in my room from the afn their air force network yep armed forces network yep where it was just always the towers always being hit it was boom it was it was constant it was like oh my god i gotta turn everything off yeah why'd they keep doing that? they just kept doing it over and over and over again and it was like all right no this is uh, this is too much and um but it was that's where i met lewis um lewis had a friend who was supposed to deploy with the unit who used to work for me when i was back at the back in the states and um, he had fallen off a truck and bumped his head, banged his head. He was out hunting. And um, so he had some problems. And so David didn't go with us. So that's kind of my nexus into the 229th because Jason and I had, we're getting our haircuts done the same day. And of course, when you're deployed, haircuts like a big thing to do, you know? Yeah. And uh, so... I told him, it's like, hey, did you hear about David? He goes, no. He goes, well, David died. He drowned. Oh, gosh. And so, and he was part of the unit, and he was friends of Bonner and a bunch of other people. So he was well-known, and you might have even known him. But yeah. um, David Turner, I think was his name. Yeah. And um, so he had he had died while we were over there, and I'm the one that had to tell part of the 229th that what had happened because yeah. he was just a friend of mine. And, and that's where I kind of got embedded with the 229. And... Uh, it was a big deal. I mean, we all had to go to. The, we all went to church and you know did a big because it was just it was just wow. We just yeah. lost somebody, you know. That's yeah, awful. And uh, while well, we were over there and didn't know anything about it, we just hold heard secondhand and and whatnot. But um, but it was it was challenging for me, um, because I had some issues with my boss, um, and uh, I did. I thought I did a really good job, but there were some issues there. And General or Colonel Wren, he was my boss's, but he was my senior reader. And at the end, I told him what was going on. He's like, "Hey, you should have told me what was going on earlier." And um, you can tell me off, Mike. Uh, yeah. later what you're talking about. So it was. Uh, so we came home, and it ended up with a really bad OER. Yeah. And those my first. Those, those suck. Those suck, especially on yeah. a deployment. You right. Know? Right. Right. And. The bad thing was, is on the last day, everybody got their awards for deployments. And I was the last one with a letter of certificate of appreciation. That's bullshit. I was the only one. I was the last one to stand up and get that. And I was like, 
I mean, I lost it. That's brutal. I went back to my my hooch and just lost it. Yeah, I bet. And um, but you know, you have your low points in your careers and whatnot, and I that was mine. And they make you stronger. It it made me stronger, and actually, it made me a better person because um, some of the things that happened actually worked to my benefit later on in my career. And then um, I just took it upon myself, knowing that five OERs gets rid of that one. Mm, So I, I, you know, it was like either I'm getting out or I'm going to stay in and make things work. You were on a mission. I was. And and I had talked to um, Ortner, General Ortner at the time. He was our chief operations. And he was basically said, says, hey, he says, you can can make it past this. Yeah. And this is what you need to do. And, uh, And he was right. He was right. And... Because of the two to nine and the opportunities that that both General or Colonel Knapp and Colonel Coffin gave me, I was able to overdo all that. So you know, my favorite officer that outranked me when I uh, was in the same unit with him is Coffin. Oh yeah, I love Colonel Coffin. Yeah, he's good peeps. Oh my god, I made a mistake one day. We we're sitting there talking, and he said something, and I turned to him and said, "Yes, Dad." <laughs> Out of because like that was my thing with my dad. That was my response to my father was yes, dad. There was always yes, dad. Or and and I turned to him and said yes, dad. And I couldn't believe I said that, but it was like that was him. Yeah, he was that figure, that father figure, that mentor, that helped me. He was me. so naturally good at it. He was, you know, and you were being mentored and you were being made better, and you didn't even know it was happening. Yes, and he gave me the opportunity to succeed, to succeed, and fall on my face. But he always helped, you know. Yeah, he, he's 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 a great leader. He's a he's a better person. Uh, yeah, I, I if I could serve with guys like him, I, I mm-hmm. that would that would be heaven. Yes, and we can talk offline why him and I really got along, which refers back to the conversations that the the situation I had in Bosnia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was uh, it was interesting though. It was uh, yeah. So uh, how was company command? Um, so Operation Noble Eagle, we were at the Pentagon. I was the S1 for the battalion, also the family assistance coordinator, another opportunity for me to succeed. Yep. And, um, and I took that and ran with it because no one really knew what the fact was. The family assistance coordination was. And, nobody, nobody had cared. and at 9-11, it was one of those things where family was party becoming part of the unit. And, yeah. and, um. So uh, that's what I was doing. So the unit was at the Pentagon doing operational legal. I had heard that the unit was going to demope. So I was like, <coughs> excuse me, I went to um, the battalion commander, Colonel Anderson at the time, and said, hey, sir, I'm hearing that the unit is getting ready to demope. I have not had command time yet. I want to be that commander that stays on. And he's like, okay. And so we talked about it. And he's like, all right, you're now the commander. So they were, so he said, you're now the commander. Now you have a choice. Do you want the whole 229th to stay? Or do you want a task force of 30 people? I had three platoons, three different units. Um, or do you just want the whole 229? I said, no, I want a task force. I said, I want the people to go home that want to go home. But people that want to stay, that want to stay. Right. So we put out the word to the 3rd 111th, Devardi, um, 229, and the Puerto Rican unit. 
and said, hey, who wants to stay? So they came up the list, this and that, and we developed Operation uh, Task Force Omaha. And um, so I took, what I, I didn't even take command. It was Larry Thompson was the commander. He just left. And I just took his flag. There was no change of command. It was, I just took his office and that was that. Yeah. And, um, and then everybody demobed and then there was this unit. So we built this unit and then the, the higher headquarters left. So it was a unique opportunity. So I had a lot of control. Yeah. It was usually the battalion command above me and then the unit above them. It was me and the one star. Wow. The 218th out of North uh, South Carolina. Huh. And um, they said, uh, so the general called me and said, hey, this is the deal. You have one mission and one mission only. You will have no negligent discharges on your watch because there were like 15 on the one before. And I was like, he's like, I want you to back brief me what the plan is tomorrow. So I gave him back brief the next day and said, it's pretty simple. They're going to disassemble their weapons before they give it to the armor. He's like, all right, that works. And that had, we had no, no so problem. It's impossible to uh, have a, a, a negligent discharge yeah. with the weapons disassembled yeah you know the, M, the M, m16s broken and they slung over there they don't work when they're just they, they yeah they, they don't you know it's just me and they had two weapons clearing barrels i took away one and i waited for the first person who tried to bypass that and i used them as an example yeah and that was that no more problems nice and um, so that was my first command on active duty yeah um which was really cool um it gave me an opportunity to do some things that you typically don't get to do as an m-day commander um, I was a commander on Christmas with the team at the Pentagon. Um, three shifts. I gave the ones who had families had off on Christmas and the single ones had off on New Year's. So that means all the single people were working on Christmas Eve, on Christmas and Christmas Eve. So I had learned from Colonel Wren when we were overseas that you go around and you see your peeps that are working on Christmas Day and give them something. So I, I came up with uh, uh, lottery tickets mm. and I had my XO put them all in different, in a gift, not in little gift bags or not yeah, bags, yeah. but envelopes. Yeah. And um, so on uh, Christmas night at two in the morning, my vocal, Sergeant Vocal, him and I. No, longer, in, no longer with us. No longer with us. Yeah. Him and I went along, and um, I gave, walked into the op center and gave them all their their uh, lottery tickets for Christmas or Christmas gift. And um, they didn't even know what was in the cards. They thought it was just a Christmas card. And then, uh, so we went in the van and started handing out these cards. And, and um, we gave out, a, what was it, cocoa, hot cocoa, because it was cold as crap that night. Yeah. And um, so we made our ways around, and I told Vocal, I said, see how long it takes them to see something and it was like the third or fourth post we went to that finally said over the radio commanders handing out lottery tickets <laughs> and it was cool because then was, we went around and they were on their post ready to get you know they get that, their that, that's it, uh, that's mdr in action right? oh it was we went all three shifts we I did said it. mdr meant mw yeah no. so we we did all three shifts and um Vocal won a hundred bucks that night, <laughs> as he should. As he should. Then he locked his keys in his car and he had used a hundred dollars. Oh <laughs> to, no! To, to get his to, to, to unlock his that car. That sounds right for Vocal. That sounds right. That was awesome. I think Vocal went through life like that. Uh huh. He, he would win and like, up. Oh, I just lost, and now it's all. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was good. He was a good guy. Oh, I. I he was awesome. I enjoyed Vocal. Yeah. So that was so. Then we came back as 
then I did the second part of my command back at the unit. Yeah. Is uh, I was ADOS and then AGR. So it was a very small period of time as AGR as a, as a commander. But And then uh, that was that. So. All right. Uh, compare battalion command to uh, HHC command or company level command. Um, so as the HAC commander, it's like running a Walmart where you have many different shops with different with different missions and a mission set. And as the leader, you're supposed to make them all work together towards one main mission. Whereas the battalion command, which is the other good thing, was I was probably the last guy in the Virginia Guard to be AGR commander slash OIC. Mm-hmm. Thank you to you know Colonel Coffin and General Bissell who made that opportunity happen. Um, but so as the commander, as a battalion, as a full-time battalion commander for a unit, that was, it was fun. I mean, I got to go to all the units. It was a large unit, big oh, unit. Oh, huge, yeah. I mean, 276 was all over from Gate City all the way to West Point. Yeah. You know, up to Bowling Green, you know, and then the Surf P, which included the Air Force guys. And y'all had a lot of equipment too. Oh yeah, D sevens and all that stuff. Yeah, and then um, yeah, at the time they even had the bridging unit. That's right. You guys had uh, AVLBs. Yes. Yeah, we had the bridging unit, and then we had the. Uh, By the way, Silent Rob is taking notes here. He's going to have a lot of acronym questions for us at the okay. end of this. The uh, the Corey unit. Oh yeah, I didn't realize. I didn't realize you. Yeah, the Corey unit. Yeah. So it was a it was a rather large unit, plus the Surf P, which included all the Air Force folks. Yeah, and. Uh, so, no, I mean, it was leadership's leadership. I mean, I just learned from what I did as a commander and made it happen as a as a battalion commander. Um, putting the right people in the right job, mentoring. And, and as, a, as a, I had a unique situation as the battalion commander because I was a major, not a lieutenant colonel, right. because of the control grade issues. So I spent 90% of my battalion command as a major. That's weird, right? It was really weird, especially yeah. when I went to USACE and out to out to Fort Leonard Wood and, and whatnot, they're expecting a lieutenant colonel, and it's, I'm a senior major, very yeah. senior major. And um, so it was just kind of, I had to explain to them what the deal was. Right. And um, so the, uh, where was I going with that? So the battalion itself, as a commander, I was mentoring lieutenants, captains, and majors. And I had to think about where they all needed to go. And the one thing I learned was to be honest with people. Always. Some people are meant to be EO officers. So that's what they're, and you got to find where they're good at. Every lieutenant, every captain. I did interviews for battalion, for company commands. And then I would mentor them afterwards. After, like, next drill, I would bring them in my office and I'd have a chat, mentor them how they did. But some of them had no business being leaders, Mm. you know. And uh, it was a lot of times it's easier just to let them go do their thing and stay out of trouble. I took it upon myself to make sure to tell them, not that they were messed up, because no one's messed up. It's just... Everybody's different. Everyone's different. Everybody has their place in life and it was just a matter of figuring out where that is if that means they're the eo officer or a company commander 
um, and then getting them to understand that. And I was resented a lot. Oh, I mean, when you're by some people, when you're being candid with people, a lot of people have trouble because you have to do that. And a lot of people weren't that way with me. Otherwise, or, you're being irresponsible. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people don't do that. And even most people don't do that. Most people don't do that. I still today to this day, you know, I try to be professional about it, but at the same time, it's just making sure the right people are in the right jobs doing their thing. And then making sure you have a good NCO, which I had Plued. Command Sergeant Major Plued is now the Command Sergeant Major for the division. Oh, wow. Um, who is, uh, he was my, you know, my commander, my Sergeant Major. And he kept me out of water, you know. And because um, I always wanted to be in the middle of everything. He's like, sir, let's go do something. Let's go have lunch. Yeah, battalion commanders have to learn the art of not being involved. In yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, and we, uh, we did some pretty neat things as a battalion um, for... Got in trouble a couple of times. Um, we that, had a that happens. We uh, Henry County, the poorest county in the state at the time. Um, they were one year they did an engineer mission down there, so we brought us back. Like a Virginians for Virginians. Yes, it was a Virginia Virginia thing. And uh, somebody down there made the mistake of saying that the guard is saving them millions of dollars. Oh, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> that did. didn't go very well at all because that's like illegal <laughs> you're not supposed to do that right um even though it was good training for the soldiers and the soldiers has a good morale booster it's, and all that stuff great but, all the way around but it was they were making money off the guard yeah that's, and that was a bad thing and they're not supposed to do you're that. not supposed to be doing that yeah. you know but yeah, either way we, we learn and move on so i survived it <laughs> yeah that's one of those weird things where uh you're trying to do everything right and the lawyers and bureaucrats get involved. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah I, I think it was Zoller who actually mentored me on that. Because <laughs> <laughs> Zoller is one guy running some things like that himself. <laughs> Colin, you're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> so what was your last job before you retired? I was the Deputy J-5, um, which is the uh, domestic operations planner for the state. Okay. DOMS, um, yeah, domestic operations. Um that was the last basically 18 months, which I did a lot with VDEM, um, emergency management, and which is the, the military version of emergency management, right? Um, which is pretty much in this with the guard. That's a primary job, and that was kind of my thing. Um, whereas, you know. Your federal mission, you can deploy, you can get ready for sixty days prior and move out and go do your thing. And chances are, whatever you were training on probably isn't going to be what you're going to do when you get in the country, anyways. Right. Whereas the governor needs you, you need you need to be there within so many hours and it's hours, not weeks. It's hours, and, and you're saving lives and property, and you're actually making a difference. And so I took it to heart. The the the, the domestic operations mission took to heart. Especially when I went to NGB, um, that was my thing at NGB, yeah. and um, and then I brought that back, that experience running the jock at NGB, bringing that information back to Virginia, and then running the jock and running helping the J three and and whatnot with with that. So, yeah, it's uh, <coughs> some of my proudest moments in the guard were when we were doing things in Virginia. Yeah, helping you know, our fellows, exactly, fellow exactly, and that's. As a battalion commander, that was my thing because we were in year one, we were in reset, and we were surf P, and we had engineer missions, 
I mean, we were deployed for SurfP doing a mission in D.C. while we deployed, you know, two other units for Appomattox for the tornado yeah. all at the same time. You know, and I'm like, that's what's that's, that's never happened before. You know, and that's it, why we existed, right? Yeah, and we had guys with chainsaws doing their thing three hours after the tornado hit. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, love that. All right, what are you doing in retirement? Well, hold on. When did you know you were going to retire? When did you start really seriously thinking about retirement? I didn't have a choice. Ah, so you, <laughs> you, you would stayed in. I would have. I would have. Um, you would serve fifty years if you could. Yes. So. Well, when, hold on. It, why did you stay in so long and wanted to stay beyond your retirement date? What is it about being a part of the Army National Guard or just serving the military in general? That it's 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 being in the guard. Um, I always put the Army thing. In, it's important, but being in the guard. I mean, I'm old school, home home homegrown guard. That's yeah. where I came from. Um, and it's the doing things for your community, doing things for, and then using that opportunity to train for your federal mission. It's just, you're doing an op order for yeah. a mission in downtown Fredericksburg. It's the same op order you're going to do going into downtown Kalat, Afghanistan. The, the an scouts, op order planning, it's, yeah. just, it's the same yep. thing. And getting the Some lieutenants. Some of the details are different. Yeah. <laughs> details are different. The op-tempo is different, but the process is the same. And getting the captains and the lieutenants to see that, and instead of going, well, why are we doing this? Because, you know, back in the days, every August was MAC disc training. Yeah. And that's that's emergency management. You know, that's, re, that's working in your community and doing all that stuff. The stomp drag stuff and the working with the local police and working with fire departments and EMS and all that stuff. That's all emergency management. Yep. And that's where we got to know Virgil, you know, and from his time when he was in with VDEM, because him and I were working together when I was at the Armory. But the uh, <coughs> the uh, the guard is dear to me when it comes to the community support. And I think is the Armory. When I was at the Armory, my rule was every high school student would come through the Armory at least once during their career at the high school. That way, at least gives the recruiters an opportunity to at least touch them once. Yeah, you know. So we were always doing something at the armory to get the high school kids there, um, and then just getting them to see what we were doing out in the community, and just seeing us. You know, at the time it wasn't you know we weren't really doing anything for active duty stuff, but but the training's the same. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, because it was one army training. Yeah, it back was. in the day. Yeah, it was starting in I guess '85. Uh huh. Around that time. Yep. All right. So, what are you doing in retirement? Um. So, I worked for Virgil for about three months as an intern, emergency management for Stafford before I retired. After I retired, I got hired on as a contractor. Doesn't sound like retirement to me. No, it was literally two weeks after, and it was COVID. No. It was COVID related. COVID money. State was spending COVID money, and they needed a contract to help out each region. So Virgil dropped my name and two weeks after I retired, I'm back at work. Mm. Um, it was supposed to be for six months, lasted two and a half years, two years. Um, so, and they even tried to, they even kept me on longer than everybody else because they had actually had me doing stuff. 
And um, so last July I finished um, that contract. And I, I had promised Courtney, my wife, that I would take at least six to eight months off and do nothing. Projects around the house and just digress. Figure out what I want to do for my next step. And um, so we did that. I have a lot of things to do, hunting, fishing, you know, whatnot. And um, and just doing projects, taking care of my mom. You know, that's my primary thing is taking care of my mom. Where, where is she now? She's in Caroline County. Okay. We moved her here from Ohio. And so I help mom take care of mom um, and uh, stop there on the way here. Was there yesterday. Um, so just helping her to do her thing. And then uh, uh, about... Three months ago, I was like, I need to do something. So I was talking with my friend Jim, who, another military guy, um, Chief Robinson, and he works, uh, he's retired, and he does the tickets for the squirrels, Uh, sells the tickets down squirrels. Okay. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, in Fredericksburg, I have tickets to the Fred Nets. So I was like, hey, I think I'm going to go sell tickets at the Fred Nets. So I I interviewed and I told Courtney, so I'm going to go do this. It's only going to be a couple hours. But I get to go afterwards and watch the game and have a couple of beers and a couple of hot dogs and it gets good. me something to do and out of the house. It's a good deal, yeah. On days that I'm not I actually have tickets to the game because <laughs> I have games. I actually have games tickets for the games, and uh, so I got hired and we've been uh, I've been working at the box office at the Fred Nets um, for the last couple months. Okay. Um, we just actually the game. We just got our first paycheck the other day and just. Um, they only had two home tang, two homestead games, and then the next one starts next week. So, you know, it's fun. You yeah. get to watch the game afterwards and hang out with the guys I work with, and it's kind of interesting. Is last year they, uh, I guess last year they hired a bunch of kids. So when they went to the playoffs, the kids are off at school. So now they have no employees. They need adults. So this year they hired all adults, which are all like GS 13s, 14s, retired colonels. Because <laughs> that's the part of the country. Which, in, which yeah. has been a an issue for the management. Because <laughs> 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 now we can't pull we can't pull the the, the wool over our eyes. We yeah. know what's going on. Y'all see it all. Yeah, we see what's going on. And um, but the bottom line is our expectations are let's go have fun. You know, so we we do that and whatnot. So it's I told Courtney so this year I will do that. I volunteer. Um, I'm doing the uh, the vice president of the Fredericksburg Guard Association, um, which is a nonprofit veterans organization that helps out the Fredericksburg Guard units. Um, and then I'm volunteering with the uh, Four Paws for Purple Hearts, um, helping out with uh, training service dogs. Oh, cool! For uh, which happens to be just down the street from my mom's house. So when I go see my mom, I can go work there for a day. And I just started that the other day, and um, it's just go do things and help them out mechanical stuff and they need an extra hand to do this or do that and i did some painting the other day do some cleaning but it doesn't matter i mean i'm just helping out it's a that's appreciated and um they train i think they're currently training like five or six dogs now for va service members good so it's good stuff all right uh let's transition to ohio state football rob if you want to get on the mic you're you're welcome to uh should Ohio State have won the national championship last year? No. Hmm, interesting. No, I don't think they deserved it. I think they deserved to be where they were, but I don't think they deserved to go all the way. Yeah, I don't think they were better than Georgia. No. No, they weren't. Yeah. It was, uh, 
it's uh, everybody thinks it's crazy because they're like they need to always win, but they lost to Michigan two years in a row. That's a bummer. That's you know, a huge bummer. And that's huge. I mean, I, Rob was despondent the first uh, loss two years ago. Oh, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's uh, but back in 2015, 14, when they won the national championship, they lost to Virginia Tech that year. Oh my gosh, I forgot that. So they came back, and that's typical Ohio State. They they typically play at the level of the team they're playing. Yeah, and it drives all of us absolutely batty because they don't go in there and kill them. They'll be playing Bowling Green, Ohio, and they're playing at that level. Yeah, it's a reminder that they're eighteen to twenty. <coughs> yes, right. They're exactly. Young. No, exactly. But yeah. then they play Georgia. And they're competitive. They're yes, the they sh- they should have won that game. Yeah, yeah. they should have won that game. But, hey, it is what it is. What are you going to do? Yeah. All right, so uh, C.J. Stroud, is he the first quarterback taken in the draft? Probably not. I'm surprised. I think he should be. You think he should be? I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. I I, I think he should be, too, because I I just think Bryce is too small. Yeah. I think they they read their their publications too much, Mm. I think. It all goes to their head. Yeah, can you imagine being a uh, first-round prospect oh. at any position? Yes. But especially a quarterback. Yes. Because that's what everybody's talking uh-huh. about. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. I think Stroud's going to have a better career. I mean, who is it uh, uh, Who is it that's playing for uh, – uh, was it Philly? Jalen Hurts. No, no, Chicago. Fields. 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 Yeah. yeah, you know, there was he, – he's getting better. He's going to be fine. He's getting better. Chicago's know? ownership wants to do well, so he's yes. going to be fine. Yes, yeah. So it's it just depends on RG or RG three when he played. He was a he was a Ferrari. Yeah. Once you wreck a Ferrari, that's it. You're done. You're done. You know, and you it's didn't the, learn how to slide. No, it, yeah. So. And how's it happen? Yeah. And CJ is not a he's he's a passer. I mean, I don't think I hardly ever saw him run. Only to get to a different position to make a throw. Yeah, I yeah. mean he he was, but he had protection. That was part of the team, and they emphasize it's a team effort. You know, so it's a uh, yeah, it's interesting to watch him. It's frustrating to watch him. Yeah, I think uh, the knock on CJ, and I don't think this is fair at all, is he had amazing line to your point, and he had ridiculous receivers. Yes. But he can't help the fact that he had really good receivers, and it probably made him look a little bit better than he would have otherwise. But I think he's the most NFL-ready to start, and I think he'll have an enduring impact in the league, yep. more so than anybody else that's going to get drafted. I'll be proven wrong years down the road, maybe. Yep. We'll see. All right, Ohio State next year. What are their prospects? Uh, They're losing their quarterback. They've, they've lost, yeah. And one of their receivers, at least one of their receivers. Yeah, the one the receiver that didn't play, who's probably going to be a top ten pick this year, uh, Smith and Jigba. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was watching them the other day during the Scarlet and Gray game, which is their spring game, and I think they have some quarterback potential there. Okay. Um, one of their quarterbacks who was supposed to be really good wasn't playing because he hurt his finger or something. Yeah. You know, but they uh, they need to keep them healthy. And make them stronger, and build that team because they're still young. Yeah, you know, and it's. I think they start off with Indiana, and then they have two other. You know, let's go beat up on 
them type teams. Bowling, bowling Green. Like yeah, bowling the green Bowling Greens color. of the world. Yeah, because yeah. you know, I think Kentucky is one of them or whatnot. But it's one of those, and they do that intentionally. I mean, they pay they pay these teams, I'm sure, millions and millions of dollars to play them. To have their kids beaten up. To, to get beaten up on because yeah. that's actually, you know, a scrimmage. That gets them ready for the Michigan. That's all It's all matter. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how the year goes. It's the Michigan game. So if y'all go one and eleven, but the one is against Michigan, that's an okay. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. All right. Yep. All right. Uh, so national championship prospects, you think? Because I mean, they've been in the conversation every season for a while now. Yeah, and and so we can dovetail to the twelve game playoffs Mm. because I think that's where Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson. All these big teams, it's just like the, you know, was it the March Madness? You're going to have the crazy December. Yeah. I, and I can't and you're going to have those teams that the Youngstown I come out there and have a heck of a freaking three weeks, and the next thing you know is they're playing for the national championship. Yeah, I can't wait for Missouri to be oh, that, the I, yeah. top four. Exactly. Yeah. I think that will be – I mean, it's, it's, it's always about – one, if you lose a game, lose earlier in the season. Because that, unless you get lucky like Ohio State did last year, because basically it's 11-1 and one going into the end of the year. It but, doesn't matter if you play U- for the big... But USC big, lost. Yes. And that helped them. Yes. Yeah, without USC losing, Ohio yeah, State's not in that problem. Yeah. So but, I, I think it's just going to be... So they're going to be good again. Yeah. Yeah. And their quarterback will probably work out because they probably have three five-star quarterback recruits. Right. Georgia, Alabama, and... Ohio State, from what I understand, get forty to forty-five percent of the five-star recruits every year. Yeah. Those yes. Schools. As a fan of a team that's not in that conversation, it pisses me off. Right. But what, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, well, so if you if you're my team, do do better. Figure out how to be better. Um, all right. Weird transition again. Another weird transition. <laughs> your talk show host. You get to pick your guest okay. one time only, though. Uh, your guests can be alive or dead. They can be uh, family friends, family members. Uh, they can be any in any line of work, whatever you want them to be. Your show can be thought-provoking. It can be fun. It can be whatever you want it to be. You get to invite a male guest. Remember, it's a talk show, so you're, this is interview style. Female guest, musical act that you can both have perform and you can interview and then if you're into stand-up comedy or comedy in general, you can have a comedian on. Who are your four guests? Hmm. Everybody pauses. Because that's a lot to take in. As you say, it's meant to be thought-provoking. It is meant to be thought-provoking. And for us to learn a little bit more about you. All right, so I'm old school. Reve- it's just, revealing. It's all right, so I think just because it's right at the forefront of, you know, not necessarily the news, but what's on TV now. But... Carol Burnett. Nice. Just turned 90 at celebrations yes. tonight. I'm taping it tonight. She, uh, yeah, I could watch her. Yes, I'm taping it. I'm like, yeah. I so, she's been on all all the shows today. She is hilarious. And her, yes, her and brain's clean. wonderful. Yes. Yeah. She's a genius. Yeah, and clean. Yes, she's and a genius. And clean. I, there are things on uh, Facebook or YouTube or whatever, old, the yes. old Carol Burnett show. Uh-huh. I, I could watch that stuff for hours. Yep. For hours. Mm-hmm. Watch her and Cloris Leachman and uh, Tim Conway. Yep. And who was there was one other guy, the bigger guy. 
Oh shoot! I can see his face. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll think of it in a second. Yeah. Uh, is she your comedian or your female guest? She is my female guest. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Comedian would be. Uh. Oh my! What was his? Oh shoot! Are you going old school? No, he was just here. He was just in in Richmond. And he was in. He played at. He he was at the Fred Nats last year. He's the one with the puppets. Oh, uh, Jeff, Jeff Dunham. Dunham. Yes, Jeff Dunham. Yeah, I like him. Jeff Dunham is hilarious. He, he's got, yeah, he's got really good setup. The, yes, the puppets. He he knows how to do that. To answer the other dude in the Carol Burnett show, Harvey Corman. Harvey yes, Corman. there you go. Yeah. Thank you. All right, so we got comedian, we got female guest, we need a musical act and a male guest. Musical act, Meatloaf. Okay. <laughs> his his one big song that lasted yep, twenty eight yep, minutes yep. That, that really did yes something for that, you. That, that's I played that in my head for years. <laughs> Bad out of hell. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. All right, male guest, last one. You serve with a lot of men. Um. I say coffin. Yeah, it's a good answer. It's a really good answer. It'd be fun, right? You yeah. enjoy it. He's going to make you think. Yep. You're going you're to enjoy the conversation. Yep. Uh, you're going to learn a couple yep. things. That's a good one. All right. How did you and the wife meet? And uh, tell me more about your wife. <laughs> All right. So I met Courtney um, the day after I broke up with my ex. Actually, didn't. Not that I, I'm. I called her. Courtney knows the story. I bet. yes. Yeah. Um, so I broke up with Allison at the time, or she broke up with you. It was a mutual thing. The next day, I got <laughs> I got a phone call from Bo Mason and said, "I got a phone number for you." Mm. And but, but Bo was quick to come to your oh yeah your aid. yeah. So I think him and Coffin had a twenty dollar bet to get me to settle down. Ah. Uh. Because they were getting sick of getting emails from me at three o'clock in the morning. So, you, you were, <laughs> well, so at this point in your life, you're, you're not twenty five. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. And I've never been married, you know, up to this point, and pretty much hadn't had a relationship that lasted longer than Allison lasted almost a year and a half or two and a half years. But you know that that was destined not to work from the very get go. We were just two stubborn people who just made things work. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so I met, I called Courtney while I was in Stanton cause I was at the brigade yep. and at the camper cause I lived on my camp, lived in my camper at the time yep. and I called her and, uh, introduced myself and said, Bo gave me your phone number and blah, blah, blah. And we started talking and we went out that Saturday now, when I broke up with Allison, I went and bought a new motorcycle the next day. <laughs> and uh, and I hadn't had a chance to break it in yet. So I met Courtney at at uh, Hard Times in Fredericksburg. Yeah, right there off Route 1. Yes. Yep. And um, at the the old one, the one up on, one down towards Fredericksburg where Patterson, and we all used to all go for oh, lunch yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. And um, so we met there and we hit the motorcycle and we drove rode everywhere and went down to colonial beach 
rode out to Partlow where I was living. Had to stop, get gas, figure out how to put gas in the tank because I've never had to really put gas in it yet. And, uh, you know, that was that. And then uh, I met her dad a couple weeks later. And then I met her mom the next month when I was on TDY in Tampa because she lived in Tampa. Mm. So it was an opportunity. So Courtney and I went down to Tampa when I was on some conference that we were doing. And um, and then uh, I believe if I had not got engaged, because I got the word we were deploying, if I had not got engaged, we wouldn't be around. Yeah, That would have been it. Um and I would, didn't want to take that risk. So uh, got engaged the week before I deployed to Afghanistan. And then that was that. And how long had you all been dating at that point? Eight months or almost a year. Okay. Almost a year. So you, all, ten you all were solid before you did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were solid before that. And we had not really talked about it, but it was one of those I volunteered to go early and because um, as you know, AGRs, it's hard to deploy, and um, so I volunteered to go, and uh, that was that. So what unit was that? It was the brigade headquarters. Oh, that's right, because I lost Kobernik to that. No, Kobernik. Oh yeah, you did go. I lost Kobernik yes, to that. Yes, you did. Still mad. about He was it. the planner for it. I'm still mad about losing Kobernik. He was my full time mm-hmm. guy, yeah. and he was the XO. Yes. On yes. Uh, drill weekends, and yes. he was me yes. during the week, and I lost that yeah. guy. It was, it was uh, Ortner, Barr. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you enjoy that? And Yancey deployment? went, yep. Yeah, it was it was well, awesome. Mostly a good crew that went over, right? Oh, yeah, it was a really good crew. Yeah. I mean, we did – it was a good opportunity because I worked with the 2-5 for almost two months before they got there. And um, it was trying not to get sent back to the States because I, my buddy and I, we went over there and broke the cap. And they wanted to send us home. So I was in E4 once. <laughs> I know how to be accountable and disappear at the same time. So we would come over to the, come over to the, it was the 82nd Airborne. We'd go into the 82nd, no, the 25th, 25th ID. And um, we'd go into their headquarters at lunch. You know, they, the G3, you know, and they were trying to keep us, trying to kick us out. And I go in there and get on a couple of computers and lock their computers up and then leave. <laughs> of course, they knew we were there because my name is on their computer. But then they had to find us. We're in the USO or we're at the MWR or at the gym or whatever, just not where we're supposed to be. Until I had called Colonel Ortner and said, or General Ortner, and said, hey, he says, they want us to send us, they want to send us home. And I said, you guys need to figure something out. Yeah. And he's like, stay there. Make yourselves accountable. Just don't get sent home and stay out of trouble. And so it was like, all right. So we did. So we went up to Kandahar. No, we were in Kandahar. We went up to uh, 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 Kabul. Yep. Went to the school up there for two weeks. We just made ourselves to disappear. Nice. And you can do that. Yeah. And it was... Uh, and then they made it. They made it work. And then they just decided to, that we were such a pain in the butt that they just sent us downrange. And what what was the mission of the units that worked for the brigade? Um, maintaining the MSR. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And then uh, 
you know, we had a couple of things happen, uh, happen July 4th, 2011, and, uh, which was the week before the 29th showed up, the 116th showed up. And as a result of that night, it was quiet during the entire mission that we were there. Mm. So it was, uh, it was a pretty good deal. Yeah. And then we were doing the, uh, they didn't know what to do with me for some reason. I just, I was the assistant to the assistant three. I was kind of like out in limbo. Yeah. Um, I had already done my job as the LNO and, uh, so they made me the, the assistant three and then project officer. So I started the uh, security, um, the security plan for the local area mm. for the army and security, the local Afghan police and the Afghan army in their EMS. So basically an internal emergency management operations plan for Kalat, which was the first time that had ever been done. Yeah. And, um, we did a, uh, we did a, uh, um, um, we call it tabletop yeah. exercise, and I blew through all my my interpreters. <laughs> I blew through them so bad that the Afghan Army three, who spoke very good English, got up and took over for them mm. because we were doing really good things. That's cool. It was the conversations that were going on between their emergency management, the Afghan police. The Afghan army, inner cordon, outer cordon, how to secure this, how to secure that, how to deal with the explosion here, how to get the people to the hospital, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. The conversation had never been done before in this kind of venue. And they kept going. It lasted for hours. Yeah, that's great. And it was, it ended up in a, in the first security policy for a, um, a region in the whole country. It was the first time it had ever been done. Nice. That was really cool. That's great, man. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Colin. I uh, really appreciate you doing this tonight. I appreciate yeah. your service to our country and to our communities yeah, out no there. Uh, and I can tell you that Rob has written down every acronym you said, <laughs> and he's got questions about what many of those acronyms are. Thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate. All right. It. Thank you. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.